Hello and welcome to episode 192 of section 138. We're here talking about another Blue Jays series in the books, another series win in the books. The Blue Jays have yet to lose a series this year. They take two of three from the Oakland Athletics at the Rogers Center. Bryson, Jacob, how are you? Doing good, Mark. Um, you were mentioning it. They have not lost a series yet out of the gate. So, and the fact that not everything is clicking at once right now, I think that's also something to kind of be optimistic about. Currently sitting at six and four. So, these past series, and I guess this most recent one, obviously as the latest example, can't complain as much as nothing's been clicking. And the fact that they haven't lost a series yet, that's also a pretty good stat to start the year because last year to start the year it was not exactly pleasant. So, it's definitely interesting to see how we're kind of. On the other side of that, even though not fully, just hovering around 500, a little bit above that, can't complain so far. It's been a decent start for this team overall, I guess. Yeah, we're going to talk about everything not clicking. The offense not clicking, the rotation certainly not clicking. Really, the only thing working right now for the Blue Jays is the bullpen. And you look at the core four, core five of Tim Meza, Jordan Romano, Jimmy Garcia, um, Trevor Richards, Adam Simber. Those guys, they've been phenomenal, but everything else for the Blue Jays, not totally going as planned, and yet they are first in the AL East. They're 6-4. and four. They haven't lost a series yet, and they're dealing with some injuries, but nothing, you know, life-threatening, nothing season-ending. So, you know, so far so good for the Blue Jays. Now is when the fun starts. They head to Boston. They got a couple tough series upcoming. But Jacob, how are you? You know what? I will say I'm a lot better after this series, and yes, the rotation, not as good. Still, it's not as good as it could be. However, I'll take an Alec Manoa start and I'll take a spot start from Ross Stripling any day when it's that good. Unfortunately, Hyunjin Ryu continues to struggle. I think in his last, going back to last season, I should add, in his last 10 starts or nine starts, his ERA is above nine. Not good. You want that to be better, even if that's your fourth or fifth starter. But still, I mean, if you're winning when, like realistically, you shouldn't be winning when the offense is not clicking and the rotation is not clicking. If you're still winning, I think that's that's a, a very, very positive thing. And he, even if you're losing games here and there, you haven't lost a series. And two out of three, that's never a bad thing. Yeah. And just before we get into the baseball talk of all of this, we do want to bring up Buck Martinez, who today, as we're recording this on Sunday, announced that he's stepping away from the Sportsnet broadcast crew. He has been diagnosed with cancer and is taking a medical leave of absence for the next few months, hopefully, all goes well, and he'll be back at the Blue Jays in July or August and broadcasting their games down the stretch. But, I mean, we've seen the outpouring of love and support from every shade of Blue Jay fandom. We've seen it from people in the industry. Um, Buck is just, he is Blue Jays baseball. There's nothing more to it than that. He's been broadcasting their games since 2010. He's been involved with the organization since 1981. When he first came here as a player, retiring in 1987, joining the broadcast crew, spending, you know, intermittently up until 2003 with the broadcast crew, jumping to Baltimore for about seven, eight years, and coming right back to Toronto where he's been ever since. So he is Blue Jays baseball. And for people our, our ages who, you know, grew up with the era of the 2000 and the 2010 Blue Jays, he is the voice of our childhood, essentially. So... Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an emotional day in Blue Jays land. It's an emotional day for a lot of people watching this happen, but we are, um, wishing Buck the best and we are rooting for him in everything that happens over the next couple months and eagerly waiting to see him back in the broadcast booth and hear that get up, get up, gone call. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an awful, I think, Dan, especially, you know, Jamie Campbell, same thing. And you put it, I think, perfectly. And I thought of this earlier today. Buck Martinez has been broadcasting for longer than I've been watching. I'm not ridiculously old, but he's been there ever since I started watching. And you never want to see guys like that go away. I mean, I, I just he said that in his statement, he was given the confidence to believe he can beat this. Hope to God that that is the case. I mean, everybody, this like you know, people criticize and whatever that doesn't matter. He is the voice of the blue Jays. You know, you look at, you can name, especially in Canada, there's usually the, like those one names that you can associate with the team. And Buck Martinez to me is the voice of the blue Jays. And he's the first voice that I ever heard calling a game. And you, uh, the optimism within him, it, it makes me optimistic, still a sad day, but 
I know for a fact this isn't it and we will one day see him again. So that's all we can do is hope for the best and respect his privacy at this time as well. I think that's also important. Yeah, I think, um, Mark, uh, you, I think you nailed it right off the top. It's just for me and for all of us, obviously, and then people close to our age, and I guess even people that have been watching for a long time because of how long he's been doing play-by-play, and especially us again, is that this is really the voice that, like, it's the only, the only voice that we really truly know because of that. The fact that he was calling games from that stretches, and of course, that's when we all started watching. So it was tough to take in today. Uh, it was really tough. And of course, it was really tough to kind of see Jamie Campbell talk about it again right off the top. You can see how important Bark Martinez is uh, to the rest, I guess, of the Sportsnet crew. And of course, all of us, all of the Blue Jays fans across the nation. So that's, I think, the part that really, uh, it was really hard to take in. And it's it was definitely an emotional day. And you just hope that he is back at some point this year. I have no um, doubt at all that he's going to fight through this and beat this. As he was saying in a statement, I'm pretty confident about that. And I can't wait to see him at the end of the year. Who who knows when it will be. And he needs to take as long as time as he needs. It's fine with that, of course. And we have all the patience in the world for him to get healthy and to address uh, currently what he was diagnosed with. And then whenever he does come back, it'll be a, ni- it'll be a, a nice kind of electric spark in that Blue Jays uh, commentators or for just all of the Blue Jays watching games again. Of course, Jays fans, I should say, watching uh, games on sports. It'll be a nice spark again when he does return and he does the signature uh, plays that you guys were saying. So I don't know what really uh, holds for, I guess, for Sportsnet right now. Um, You know, Dan Shulman probably going to call the bulk of the games. Who knows who's going to be also calling games because Dan Shulman doesn't really do full time. He does certain series. So it'll be interesting to see on that one. But all the love, all the support, and we're all wishing the best for Buck Martinez to make a uh, speedy recovery. And of course, whenever he is coming back at some point this year, and we do hope it is at some point this year, you bet uh, everyone's going to be excited and everyone's going to be thrilled to see him because it just shows, especially today, and it's kind of something we already knew, but I think today, especially because of all the support that he did get and all the people kind of just commenting well wishes and of course, probably all the messages that he's received personally, it just shows how truly important he is to people, of course, to Blue Jays fans, and to the franchise. I thought Mark Shapiro's statement was really well-written as well, so you can just feel the impact that he has, and um, just because of how hard it was to take in today, there's definitely a hole right now in all of us because of how sad that was. So, speedy recovery to Buck. Uh, we're wishing him the best, and we know he will beat this and fight through this, and we cannot wait until he does come back at some point, hopefully this year. And I think we're all expecting him that he will do that. And I'm sure he's also expecting uh, that he's going to fight this as soon as possible and, of course, come back uh, when he's ready to come back. It'll be an exciting day down the stretch when the Blue Jays are fighting for a playoff spot and Buck Martinez is back on the mic. So we're looking forward to that day eagerly. Um, Let's talk about baseball. Um, I think, Jacob, you brought up Ross Stripling. Let's start right there. Stripling on Friday... In the opener of this series, he had a phenomenal outing as basically the Blue Jays' sixth starter. At that point, he was the sixth starter. He goes four innings, gives up two hits, zero earned runs, zero walks, and three strikeouts. You couldn't ask for anything more from a spot starter. Um, and now, with Hinjin Ryu being injured, heading to the 10-day IL with left forearm inflammation, I believe is the injury, um, now that he's going to the IL, Ross Stripling is going to be playing a big role in this team. He's taking Ryu's spot in the rotation. We're going to see him every five days. He's going to be coming up, I think, the day after the Boston series. Um, so we're going to be seeing him semi-soon in the Blue Jays' rotation, and he's going to be playing a big role down the stretch. Um, personally, I'm kind of okay with this. <laughs> I mean, I know it sucks that Hinjin Ryu is injured, and you never root for a player to be injured, but obviously something's not right with him. Um, you know, we saw him come out and struggle in his first outing. He had a couple good first innings, and then he kind of broke down in the third, fourth inning there. And then we saw in this outing against Oakland, he just didn't have anything. He could not get an out. Um, and obviously something isn't right. Obviously the Blue Jays need to fix something, whether that was actually an injury or whether it was some problem with mechanics, whether it's something that's nagging him. Something isn't right, and the Blue Jays need to fix it. And to have Ross Stripling there, and I think we saw what he can do when he's at his peak and kind of the 15 starts we saw from him last season, that really good stretch he had towards May, June, and even going into July. We saw what he can do, and to have him jump into the rotation, 
I'm okay with that. I, I don't think this is the end of the world. I honestly think it doesn't change much in terms of the Blue Jays' expectations this season just because Ryu wasn't really performing anyways. Absolutely, and I know it sounds harsh, but if if Ross Stripling is the alternative, I'm honestly happy with that. And yeah, you mentioned it, his, his spot start, four innings. He said he could have gone five if he was a little bit stretched out or if things had gone a little bit differently. But still, four innings of, of only allowing two hits. Uh, obviously, the no earned runs, three strikeouts, no walks. He basically did what a long reliever could have done or an opener. I know the Blue Jays don't use that anymore, but this is somebody that honestly could play a much more pivotal role than he was expecting to this season. And I've heard some talk maybe DFA or keep Ryu in the minors or something or reduce his workload. I, I doubt that's happening. I really do. I mean, you're not paying $20 million. Like you've already eaten the, the who was it? Tanner Rohr contract. You're not going to do that again. However, if Ryu is being outperformed by Ross Stripling, former Dodger teammates, I could easily see Ross Stripling taking that, uh, that step or really step it up and, and take that spot in the rotation, maybe as the fourth or fifth starter. I, I doubt the Blue Jays stay at a six man rotation. I think that was just to get guys a little bit more stretched out. But if you're Ross Stripling, this is uh, the way I see it. This is your time to really run away with that spot in the rotation. Yes, you say Kikuchi and Hyunjin Ryu are most likely staying here, but if you can prove otherwise why you deserve to stay in this rotation and not just make a spot starter, throw three innings if needed out of the bullpen, I don't see why he doesn't stay in this rotation. And he's not even awful. I mean, you mentioned that 15 straight uh, start stretch where his ERA was under, I think, one or two or something like that. Like it was it was like fantastic. And even in that, there were a few games where he, I think it, it was the Boston game. I remember the one where they, the Chatwood, where he had like a balk, a walk, a hit by pitch, another walk. All those runs were charged to Ross Stripling. And so his ERA was even lower than what it should have been or higher than what it should have been. So if you're Ross Stripling, this is really your moment to shine. You hope that Ryu is okay. You hope that, that, you know, you never want to root for an injury. You never hope that somebody's injured, let alone a, a seemingly big piece of your rotation and really just part of your clubhouse. But from an on-field perspective, I don't th- see that this necessarily as a bad thing. Like if I'm not even going to name names, but if the top three, if somebody in the top three was injured, we'd absolutely be panicking because Ross Stripling as good as he can be, he's not one of those guys. However, I, I don't see this as, as being an issue. And even when Ryu is healthy, maybe i mean obviously it's too hard to tell with kikuchi he's only made one start but maybe you put him in the bullpen i again i don't want to speculate because i kind of doubt any of these things happen but for ross dribbling this is the perfect chance to complicate the rotation situation for this uh the manager for ross adkins mark Shapiro, anybody this easily could be his his time to take over and maybe be used as a trade piece maybe you say look at what ross dribbling has been able to do give us i don't know a reliever or something like uh, that's what I mean like basically this is his time to show what he's truly able to do and I wouldn't be surprised if he stays in this rotation long term if he's able to do anything similar to what he did uh, in the last start and who knows maybe this is the the sleeper that we were all kind of waiting for in the rotation but yeah let's I, I think we'll see we'll give him I don't know if it's a 10 days I'll stint he'll have a uh, I'm assuming a couple starts we'll see how long that's extended to be, but easily could be one of the bigger moments for uh, Ross Stripling this season. Yeah, I mean, I know, I understand what you guys are saying about you're not concerned, and of course, is the rota- from a rotation standpoint, I mean, right now, no, you're not concerned. The only thing I'm concerned about is Hunjin Ryu himself. Um, a lot of similarities to last year. You figure he had a winter to kind of figure things out, and we're just we're seeing similarities. I mean, everything that we saw last year, we are seeing this year. And I don't, I don't think anyone really knows what's truly going on. I just, you looked at his, you look at his start yesterday and he got knocked around hard for a second straight start. I mean, I think runners were batting 333 against him. And the one thing where you even look at last year compared to his first two starts this year is that he is striking out less people and his hard hit rates are higher this year than they were last year. And last year was obviously the year where he completely began to regress or began to, I guess, fall off a cliff or kind of turn around from what we saw in 2020. So he's actually performing worse than he did last year. I know it's a small sample size, but these two starts are concerning. I mean, the first start, we know what happened. The first start against Texas and against Oakland, 
two teams kind of, you know, they're not exactly the greatest on paper, not exactly the greatest for expectations. And those are two games that they probably could have won. I thought that game on Saturday, I thought they had no reason but to win that game as much as they lost that game. I thought they easily could have won uh, that game. So, yeah, I'm concerned about Hunjin Ryu because you look at this now and in this year in particular, because of the expectations, because of that this team is supposed to win, it's not a kind of a transition phase kind of like 2020 was. And I guess you can even kind of count part of 2021. Like, you can't be sending him to the mound every five days if he's going to allow five run runs. This is a team that lost, obviously. We know that they missed out of a playoff spot by one game last year. We know that they were still kind of transitioning, but they were pretty much there. It's a little bit of a different situ- uh, situation this year. You have to win these games. We know how important all of these games are. And Saturday, for me, as much as this first start on um, Sunday against Texas, the third game of the season where we were all at, as much as he wasn't good that game, I still look at this past Saturday and that game on Saturday, I thought they had no business losing. As much as the umpire we're going to get into, uh, umpires and different kind of factors that happen later in the game, they should have won that game, and they probably could have swept that series and easily, in my opinion. So that's my concern with that. Now, the starting rotation, not exactly, you know, we're expecting these guys to eventually get going, like, I mean, everyone at the same time. So overall, I'm not exactly concerned with Ross Stripling taking over. We're we're familiar with Ross Stripling. I mean, last year he spent most of the year starting compared to when he came out of the bullpen. And I know he had a couple, or last year in particular, he had a really rough April, which is why his numbers were kind of inflated throughout the rest of the year. He was injured a couple of times, and late in the season also, he was injured kind of boost or inflating his numbers when he came out as a reliever. So last year as a starter, 19 starts, 469 ERA. You hope he's going to be better than that. He looked really good, I thought, in his uh, start on Friday night. I mean, he was pretty much throwing the ball really well in his four innings, just two, allowing just two hits. Uh, his hard hit, there wasn't a lot of hard contact against him. There was a lot of weak contact. And his fastball and changeup, they were the, obviously the strong pitches. Those are his go-to pitches. And if those pitches are on, on cue, then you know he's having a good outing. So not concerned with how the rotation kind of sits stone right now. You guys were pretty much talking about stripling. I want to open it up a little bit more. I think this is something that we need to monitor kind of on a start-to-start basis as we get to the end of the month because of one person in particular who is now kind of rebuilding himself and going through another spring training in Florida, and that's Nate Pearson. There is a potentially a spot open for Nate Pearson now if you get to the end of the month. However, Stripling pitches well. You want to ride the hotter hand. You want to keep Stripling in there. But all I'm saying is there is another option, I think, at the end of the month now. And the fact that Nate Pearson is being built up as a starter you got to kind of consider him here in that situation. So Ross Stripling, he's going to get a couple starts. We don't know how long Hunjin Ryu is going to be out for. We don't even know if this is a real injury. I know what they were saying was that he was experiencing the forearm tightness during his warm-up. He tried pitching through that. As much as that could definitely be true, we don't know for sure. Because we saw last year, I mean, at the end of the year, he went on a phantom eye Elston at the end of the year. He came back. Who's to say it's the same thing now? I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Hunjin Ryu. The only thing is, is that for somebody who doesn't throw necessarily a lot of velocity, like he throws 90 miles per hour, I think that's pretty much the hardest he can throw from his fastball. If you're leaving pitches up in the zone like that, throwing 90 and throwing almost just under 90 with your breaking ball, you're going to get hit hard. So Hunjin Ryu, he's got a lot to figure out. You figured, and I guess all the expectation for us, the best case scenario that we all came into this year hoping was all of the issues he dealt with last year was dealt with throughout the offseason, throughout pretty much extended spring training when he was down in Korea for a bit during the lockout. You figured coming into this year, all of that was going to be addressed. We were all, all we needed from Hanjin Ryu this year was to be the best or the third best starter in this rotation. He's not the ace anymore. That's not what the Blue Jays need. We haven't seen that in two starts now. And I think we're kind of running out of excuses now and kind of I guess, optimism, because there's a lot of people now who have officially given up on Hunjin Ryu. I personally, as much as what we've seen throughout the first two starts, it's been really ugly. I'm not going to sit here and give up on him right away. I do question his role, though, because if Ross Stripling performs well, if Nate Pearson gets in starts maybe at the end of the month or some point in May, it and obviously it all depends on how long Ryu's out for. I do question his role, but... I'm not necessarily giving up on Hunjin Ryu just yet because as much as he has been this bad, you figure whenever he does come back, he's got to be better. But unfortunately, we just haven't seen that. So it's a very tricky topic. You look at the alternatives. You look at how the rest of the rotation stands right now. 
I think they're going to be fine for the next five days. The one thing we know for sure is Rod Stripling got a heck of a lot more important uh, today than he was at the beginning of the year. He was going to be that guy that was going to be a hybrid role, pretty much what he's done all year going back from a rotation spot to the bullpen. He's now slotted in for the rotation for the time being, and the Jays need him to pitch well. So it was very good what we saw from him on Friday night, and you hope that he continues to get stretched out a little bit more because he can probably go a little bit more deeper into the games, maybe five, six innings from Ross Stripling. We'll take that any day. I think that's a really good start from Ross Stripling. So it's just fascinating to me about what's been going on with Hunjin Ryu ever since last year. And I don't know how the Jays fix it. I really don't. But I still am not really ready to give up on him. I don't know what his role will be, though, if the rotation does good without him. I think that's something that we're going to have to monitor. Yeah. That's the big entertaining question. Like, Jacob, I don't think they're ever going to get to a point. Well, maybe I shouldn't say ever, but I, I don't think they're going to get to a point anytime soon where they are DFAing him, like where they're dropping him from the roster. I don't think there's a world where that happens. And I know it kind of happened with Tanner Rourke, but that was a different situation. He really never performed with the Blue Jays over a couple seasons, and the Blue Jays eventually had to cut their losses in, what was it, beginning of May, end of April um, of last One season. One start, that's all he did. One start in Texas, that was it. Yeah, so I, I think it's a totally different situation with Ryu. I don't think they're cutting their losses with this guy. I think they're in for the long haul with him. Good or bad, hopefully good, but... Um, yeah, I think there is a world where he maybe ends up in the bullpen. If he, I, I think he'll come back from this IL stint. He's going to get a long leash. He's going to get time to figure it out, see what happens. I think if we get to the point of three or four starts after the IL stint and it's still not working and we're still seeing the kind of starts that we saw at the end of last season and at the start of this season, I think that's a point where the Blue Jays might say, Okay, it's time to move him to the rotation. Ross Stripling, you get the full-time starting job. Or, like you mentioned, Nate Pearson. I think Nate Pearson is also someone who is definitely in that conversation. Blue Jays working him up to a bulk role right now. But bulk role can easily change to regular starter every five days if the Blue Jays need it. So, yeah, it's a, a whole world of different possibilities right now. And it's crazy how fast things change for Hinjin Ryu. Something changed you know, on June 4th, that's basically when the turnaround was last season. Before that, he had an ERA of 2.62. Since then, to end 2021, he had an ERA of 5.29. And following that, we know what happened this year. So yeah, maybe you pick, you know, allude to sticky stuff. Maybe that's what it is. Personally, I don't think that's what it is. Um, I know the timing lines up perfectly for it to be a sticky stuff problem, but to me, that doesn't check out with who Ryu is and the numbers that we've seen from his spin rates. His spin rates actually increased after the sticky substance ban. So, I don't know. It's it's a question. It's something that we're going to be following closely and eagerly watching over the course of the season. But, yeah, right now, I like you said, Bryce, I'm not nervous about what this means for the team. I think the Blue Jays will survive and you know maybe even thrive without Hinjin Ryu for the next 10, 15 days. But... It is a problem for Ryu, for for him personally, what the Blue Jays do with him, whether he can bounce back and whether he can rejoin this rotation at some point. Yeah, I, I just want to clarify. I don't think he's getting DFA'd. I highly, highly doubt that. Uh, he also does have, I mean, I know Tanner Rourke, different situation, but he does have a, another full year left on his contract worth $20 million, really $40 million left. He has half of that $80 million deal left. I really don't think the Blue Jays throw that money away even if he is god awful and nate pearson and, and ross stripling are able to rebound and be better than him i still doubt that he's not on this roster but yeah i i really don't know what it is and i mean in the last start against uh, the, the athletics he was just bad like it, let's let's face it he was not good but in the start against texas he at least started well and i think he had a no hitter throughout the first three innings now I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make it seem like that, but you know what I mean? Like he, he, he got guys out consistently throughout the first uh, three innings, if, if that makes sense. And there were many starts last season, the second half of last season where he did that. I mean, he, he would, it was weird. Like I, I went to a game against the Orioles one year or last year where he, it was, it was like the sixth inning. He had two outs, no hits, not, it might even have been a perfect game. And then he just allowed 
like four doubles in a row and allowed three runs and then they ended up losing that game. And I think I'm not really sure what to make of that because we see that like, yeah, he'll get rocked around, but then he'll also dominate and then have maybe one thing interrupt his rhythm. And then he just falls off from that game and he can't rebound. And I don't really know what to do with that other than have Ryu work on that internally, because like that's going to happen. Like even like a, a, any good pitcher or any pitcher in general is going to have, you know, a good pitch get hit. I mean, look at Garrett Cole. He had to tip his cap to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Because he made a dominant pitch that he just hit. Like you can't then take that and be, okay, there's another single, another single, a, a walk and like a, a double or something. Like you can't have that happen. All I can say is uh, that's going to probably be something Ryu has to fix on his own. And maybe it is an injury. I mean, this is what is his, his third IL stint or fourth, maybe in the last uh, two seasons. And this, this season has only just begun. So I'm not really sure. Maybe he is truly not healthy. Maybe he did. I mean, the, the one thing that is tough is it's hard to say that he's been overworked these last two seasons or 2020 and then 21, because obviously 2020 was shortened 2021 regular year and yeah people would say that his his workload was higher or among his highest in his career but I still don't necessarily think that's enough to have him just fall off completely so I I don't really know what to make of it and I I hate not knowing what to make of it because then it makes me sound as if I have no idea what I'm talking about but all we can hope is that this this injury stint it's not too long you don't want to see somebody on the IL for too long that's never a good thing it's going to have to be something where you come back, you've worked on, on your own game rather than it just be a, a rehab and get your pitches back to whatever speed they need to be in your stamina backup. Because that's not, I think the issue, I think the issue is Ryu was not able to, he's not able to consistently deliver. And especially when he gets hit up a little bit, it's not something where he's able to rebound. And you hope that that's a thing because it like, when we talked about the the rotation prediction, we assumed he was going to still have like a high three ZRA, which is not even that bad. Like if, if you have three aces, if you'll call them at the start of your rotation or three guys that could easily be a one or two in, in most rotations, and then a four and a five guy who, yeah, could be better, but are not bad options. That's a good rotation. But if your rotation is now plagued by somebody that just can't seem to get out. So that's not going to be, uh, that's not what a championship team or really a playoff team is made out of. So all you can say is we hope that this, whatever it is, is, is worked on because Ryu, like we we've seen peak Ryu with the blue Jays. We've also seen all time low Ryu. So let's just hope that we can get back to somewhere in the middle where even if he gets rocked, it's not the end of the world. He can still rebound, still give the blue Jays outs and, minimize the that type of damage yeah and i don't know because it's just it's so bizarre of what really happened and i really go back to the start last year in cleveland when he got roughed up in the it was i think the weather was really windy that day and i remember i don't know jacob if you were on but mark and i definitely spoke about it, i remember and we were both of us were ready to give it a mulligan give it a pass from what happened and ever since that start it has been completely downhill from here so that is why i don't know exactly what has happened, and you were talking about it. I mean, we we were expecting him to have a three and a half ERA, hopefully around there. That would have been solid for this rotation. That is all the Jays need from him. They don't need Hunjin Ryu to be that ace anymore. And then, of course, I think one thing. However, if you want to be optimistic and assuming you know Barrios gets going because we're expecting him to get going, Gosman stays where he was at because his last start in New York was really. Uh, I thought he did really well in his last start in New York. The one thing that I think is going to which makes the Blue Jays in a decent spot right now is Alec Manoa. I mean, two starts from Alec Manoa so far. He's been nothing but dominant. He's obviously by far been the best starter for the Jays so far this season and you saw his start today. I mean, I think he had about 9 whiffs uh from his slider today and that was nasty. He had a couple um pitches that he threw that was completely just the spin rate, I don't know, the movement on it really fooled a lot of those batters today for Oakland. So that's one thing to be optimistic about. You know that at some point in the future, he might be your future ace, Alec Manoa, in a couple years. He's been nothing but dominant. And I mean, obviously, the team as well, whenever he does pitch, 
everything really goes well. When Alec Manoa is pitching, you know that they have a really good chance of winning the game. So it just throughout his first 22 career MLB starts, I'll give you some stats on Alec Manoa today. A win percentage of 846, which is first in the MLB. Strikeouts are at 140, which is first. His whip is 1.04. Opponent's average is 186, and his ERA is 3.06. And that is going through his first 22 starts with the Jays. So Alec Manoa stepping up. While Hunjin Ryu is starting the year on the IL now and kind of trying to figure things out, that might have been the X factor. And that was the one thing we did discuss. All three of us, I remember, at the beginning of the year was when we were discussing this. We did say, as much as Hunjin Ryu, we didn't necessarily know what we were going to get out of him. Alec Manoa really needed to take a step further than last year. And that's obviously asking a lot out of the guy. We know that his track record in the minor leagues, not a lot of innings in the minor leagues at all. The situation he was put in last year was obviously... On another tough, another tough spot because the Jays desperately needed starting pitching, and he out here so far these last two starts or his first two starts I should say, he looks he looks calm. He's in control, and you have a really you're really confident in saying that it's going to be a win for the Blue Jays overall. So Manoa needs to continue to pitch the way he's pitching. Barrios is going to eventually get going. Kevin Gosman's going to be Kevin Gosman. You're sitting in a pretty decent spot I think for the starting rotation, which is another reason why. I don't think we're necessarily concerned with the rotation in the absence of Hunjin Ryu. No, really? The the only two people I'm worried about in the rotation are Ryu and Kikuchi. And I, like, yeah, I, I, I'm <laughs> confident Brios will figure it out. I'm confident Gossman has kind of already figured it out. Um, it's really just a question of, is Kikuchi the guy we saw in the first half last season or the second half? And can Ryu get back to what he is? So it'll be interesting to watch. Let's talk... A little bit about the offense, because we knew that was something that's going to become a problem for the Blue Jays. It was already a problem last series. Entering this series, they lose Teoscar Hernandez. They lose Danny Jansen, although that's not as big of a factor when it comes to offense. We knew it was going to be a problem. The Blue Jays struggle a little bit, not totally. They score four runs on Friday, five runs on Saturday, four runs again on Sunday. So not the type of offensive production you expect from the Toronto Blue Jays, who had the best offense in the league last season. It's not terrible. Where the concern comes in is in clutch hitting situations. Runners in scoring position right now this season, the Blue Jays are batting 157 with an OPS of 550. Again, this for the best hitting team in baseball, or what's supposed to be the best hitting team in baseball. Two outs, runners in scoring position, they're batting 194. In late and close games, they're batting 231. So you're getting towards acceptable territory there. In high leverage situations, the Blue Jays are batting 175. So I think those numbers portray a situation kind of similar to what we saw last year, where the Blue Jays are struggling late in games, in close situations. And I know that's something they tried to address this offseason. They went after left-handed hitters who can sub in late in games and prevent the kind of mixing and matching of screwing them over with the opposing team's bullpen. But so far, it hasn't totally worked, and that's still an area of concern. Um, I personally think it's going to figure itself out. I don't think this is a long-term problem with the Blue Jays. Some people probably disagree, but from my perspective, I think it was last season, end of April, we were kind of having the same conversation, not so much the high leverage, late inning, runners in scoring position thing, but just the overall concerns with the production from the Blue Jay lineup. And it turned itself around real quick. I know there was, I think it was a 15 to 1 win against, I want to say the Angels, where everything seemed to turn on a dime. And that was a turning point for the Blue Jays towards mid to late April, where everything changed. And after that point, we were kind of hunky-dory. It was fine at that point for the Blue Jays. I know I think Springer was back for a couple games and then went back in the IL. But, um, yeah, I'm not concerned about this long term. I know some people are, and the runners in scoring position and the high leverage thing might be an area of concern for some. I don't know if you guys are worried about that. I mean, it. you can be concerned, and I think that that's definitely something that wouldn't uh, be, be something that's wrong. But when you look at it, throughout the first – what have there how many games they played nine games a lot of the regulars a lot of the key contributors uh 10 games so the first throughout the first little bit of the season a lot of the key contributors some of them have clicked some of them have definitely already been in mid-season form if you will but a lot of them really haven't yet i mean Bo Bichette hitting under 200 so far george springer 
uh, he started off really well like hitting mid threes, but he's down under two, two ninety seven. Yes, that's still good. Um, I understand that, but he's cooled off a little bit. Uh, Matt Chapman's never really clicked yet. I think he's hit a few bombs, but he's never really been as consistent as, as we'd expect him to be. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has he's he started off extremely slow. His average is you know trickling over two hundred now. Yeah, I I was just jump in there. Lourdes is someone who really stood out this series as you know sliding into that four spot, that cleanup spot, having to produce. And I think he did this this series, and it's good to see him get going early on compared to what we saw last season where it was a desert for the first couple months until we really got to August and September. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And even, I mean, like, look at Alejandro Kirk. We expected him to hit well. I mean, he's, again, two, uh, 208 average in his first li- uh, little bit of the season. He's played in uh, or in eight games. So, again, it's very small sample size, but a lot of the key guys – are still getting going. And so I'm not really worried just yet. I mean, they've only seen three different set of pitchers so far, the the Rangers, Yankees, and now the uh, Athletics. So I get it. You want to see the results early, especially when the hype was second best team in baseball from day one. Like, I absolutely understand that. But And every game does matter. I'm not trying to justify it by saying it's April, it's early. But I do also understand that players will take a little bit of time to get going, especially with that shortened spring training and I hate to use that as an excuse, but I get it. Like it's early players are still getting going. Pitchers are still getting going. So if this trend continues, like if I think in the Yankee series, I I can't remember if we touched on this, but the one game, uh, the last game where they got shut out, they had the bases loaded, no runs. uh, Aroldis Chapman completely fell off bases loaded and, and no outs. I think in the ninth, nothing like if that continues or anything close to that continues, absolutely be concerned. But as of right now, I'm not as concerned as I think a lot of people are. And realistically, like, yeah, you're missing Teoscar Hernandez. You're missing Danny Jansen. Like, the offense will get better. And I think that's the the one thing that a lot of people need to take away from this. It's it's I think it's way too early to to be concerned or to panic is the best way to put it. And the last thing I'll say is, who else are you going to get? Like, you're not going to go out and get a better outfielder who can hit better like than Conforto. Okay, well, I mean, you could, but like, you know what I mean? Like if, if I'm just kidding, if Teoscar, I'm not going to call Teoscar Hernandez, but say George Springer struggled mightily for throughout April, you're not going to replace him. Like you're going to keep him it, like you, you, you guys are laughing because it's true. Like it, you wouldn't replace George Springer. You wouldn't replace. I don't, think, I don't think anyone's saying that though. I think the worry is just that we're seeing 2021 repeat itself in runners in scoring position, high leverage situations, that kind of thing. I, I don't think anyone's saying, like, trade for Jose Ramirez or something like that. Well, people are saying that, but different reasons. Yeah, no, that's fair. I just mean it's too early to say that, like, the options that they have now are are falling off or that it's anything like that. Like, it's way, way too early to panic or get any uh, nervous at all. So I'm just going to let it go. They have an off day. They're going to go to travel to Boston, see how that series goes, and – I think guys will start to get things going. Kevin Biggio too, somebody we haven't mentioned. I don't know how much room he has left on this roster, but regardless, he's here. Still, still hitless. Yeah, he is, he's struggling mightily and I, I hate to say it, but guys are taking a bit longer, I think, than we've expected to, to get going. So I'm not worried. It does need to get better though. I mean, the runners in scoring position, you're not going to blow out guys every game or teams every game. It's not going to be like that. And especially if you're going to play against good teams, you're in the AL East. Obviously the schedule's still what it, uh, the, like the previous setup, it's not as balanced as it'll be in, in the future, especially in the playoffs. Like you're not going to be against guys that are going to just get lit up all the time. So that absolutely needs to figure itself out, needs to get worked on. Am I worried now? No, it's, it's, I think it's way too early. And if, it continues for really the rest of April. If it's a, t- a consistent thing among the team, absolutely. I think we can look at it and say, okay, what's going on here. But as guys start to get going as Matt Chapman, you know, I mentioned him, his average steadily creeping over 200, getting higher and higher as games go on, it will get better. They'll get Tay Oscar Hernandez back. It will be better. And I just, uh, th- that's, that's the key here is for, for those people that think that the offense is going to repeat itself. I doubt it will. It's going to get a lot better just let guys get healthy and let them settle into the season. 
Yeah, no, I'm not. Um, I'm not too concerned about that either. Like the only thing I'll say is that the what the schedule is about to go to. Now you've had a couple mediocre teams with Texas, with Oakland. All you're seeing for the next two weeks is the Astros and the Red Sox, and then you see the Yankees again to start May. So I said it off the top. Not everything is exactly clicking right now. So if they play like they are right now, it's going to be a lot more difficult to win these games in the next couple of weeks. So I'm not here to have a discussion about being concerned because I think people that are overreacting over 10 games are just crazy because we saw the exact same last year. It's going to balance out. Like you were mentioning averages. I'm not even concerned about overall numbers. It's the clutch situations that Mark was talking about with those numbers that I think is the highlight on this, even though it doesn't concern me long-term. It's just these next two weeks in particular, they definitely have a, they're going to have challenges if they can't get those clutch hits. in. as much as they did struggle throughout the weekend, I still think they had a couple of good moments. I mean, if you go back to game one on Friday night, I think Espinal, Collins, Gurriel, I think they all had clutch hits, which helped them get insurance near the end of the game. So that's something that I think you can take away from Matt Chapman, Jacob, you were mentioning it. I thought he had a good series. He had a couple clutch hits. I mean, he had a home run on the weekend. I think he's starting to turn that corner. I'm not really too concerned about that one right now at, at all either. So, it was a bit better also in game two. We know it was 7-5. We know the Jays were down early. They came back, and then they lost the lead late. That's how they lost game two. And then game three, obviously, again, coming up with some clutch hits early on, as much as the running runners in scoring position overall have been struggling. Um, I, I guess I want to give a quick shout-out, though, to somebody who hasn't been really getting a lot of attention. It is Zach Collins. I mean, Zach Collins comes in. We know the situation he was in this year. We know the Jays got him. It's going to be interesting to see if he can, continues to play like this end of the month of May or whenever Danny Jansen comes back. It's going to be interesting to see how the Jays handle that because throughout the series, he was definitely one of the highlights. Two for four in game one with an RBI, three for four in game two with the home run and two RBIs, and then one for three on today, which was Sunday. So I mentioned Chapman, and then the the one last thing I want to mention, you guys already mentioned it, and I'm glad you mentioned it, was Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who's been traditionally a slow starter. Uh, throughout pretty much the early on or early on in the season. We saw that last year. We saw that a couple years ago. I just want to say too, his approach at the plate, as much as he's been producing, his approach in general has been much better than the 2021. I mean, when you look at his numbers in terms of a chase, like chase rate and all that, completely opposite ends of the spectrum. He's a lot more patient this year. He's not exactly swinging, being a free swinger. He seems to be having a better understanding of the, uh, the strike zone unless Jeff Nelson's behind the plate. I really like how Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has pretty much started the year right now. I think that's definitely one of the highlights. One of the things that hasn't really been talked about enough is his approach at the plate in general because we know the talent's there, but the approach sometimes we've seen in the past, he can definitely be a free swinger. He could be chasing a lot. He could be striking out a lot. This year, I know he's been striking out still a decent amount like anybody else on the offense, but his chasing is definitely down, and I, I really think that's important, especially because of the Teoscar Hernandez injury and I think just because he's been spending time at the cleanup spot. So that's definitely where things stand. The clutchness, it's going to come, but if it doesn't come in the next two weeks, it's all I'm saying is it's just going to be harder to beat the Red Sox, the Astros, and that's all you're seeing for the next two weeks, and then you see the Yankees to begin the month of May. they got to figure it out fast, and I think they will, but I'm not here to have long-term discussions about the offense being you know, the way it's been, I'm not concerned whatsoever. And I don't think people should be concerned at all. I'm not concerned individual performance wise. I think the area where concern comes in, maybe concern is not the right word. We're using it over and over again, but just, you know, general, I guess, discomfort with the trend where things are going. Cause we don't want a repeat of 2021. We want to see improvements in those high leverage situations. So I think that's where, I guess for me personally, the discomfort comes in. I'm not worried about individual player performance. I'm just worried about the overall trends for the Blue Jays. And yeah, Zach Collins, like what a guy. And the thing that I love most about Zach Collins right now is that he essentially came off the bench and did all of what he did this series. Like he barely had any playing time before that. And what encourages me more is when Danny Jansen comes back, I expect Jansen to still get the bulk of the catching duties, but if Zach Collins is the guy coming off the bench to either pinch hit late in games because we know he's a left-hander or come off the bench and get the start every three, four days, and if he can do what he's doing right now, coming right off the bench, man, the Blue Jays at the catcher position just got so, so much better. So, yeah, I mean... Reese McGuire, Zach Collins, right now you would pick Zach Collins. I know we were having the conversation last time about Blue Jays not making that trade, and we were worried about that trade, but Zach Collins is paying off right now. Um, 
Bryson, you mentioned Jeff Nelson. Um, <laughs> that was a fun day in Blue Jays world. Um, yeah, he had, um, I guess you could say probably one of the worst games you will ever see by an umpire on Saturday. There was some terrible calls. There's no beating around the bush there. There was some terrible, terrible calls. There was pitches literally tracked by StatCast four and a half inches outside the strike zone called strikes. And this is not a one-time thing. Lourdes Goriel Jr. got called out on a strike that was four inches outside the strike zone. Charlie Montoyo got ejected right after for arguing. And then the next at bat, Matt Chapman gets called out on the exact same pitch. And I mean, we've talked about robotums before. I understand if you're hesitant about the automatic strike zone, but at the very least, there has to be some level of oversight from Major League Baseball on umpires. There has to be some sort of accountability, some sort of punishment for having as terrible a day as Jeff Nelson did. You look to other leagues, go to the Premier League, go to soccer in Europe. If a ref has a bad day, they get bumped down. They sit for a weekend. There's accountability. In baseball, there's no accountability. You can be Angel Hernandez for 20 years and not face a single punishment. So bottom line, automatic strike zone or not, they got to do something. See, I understand people not liking automatic strike zones. And one of the things I do like about baseball is that every umpire does have a little bit of a different strike zone. Like some guys will call a wider game, taller game. Sometimes pitchers can't get those borderline pitches to be called a strike. But if I can look on the broadcast, see that outline of the strike zone and see a ball with a space on my TV big enough to fit my phone between the strike zone and where that pitch was thrown, I think there's a bit of an issue with, with calling that a strike. Like it is, you talk about how these these are not called properly these pitches actually do matter like you can't call a guy out on a pitch have him strike out i'm not saying that lourdes Gurriel jr would have hit a home run if that was called a ball or matt chapman would or he would have walked and then chapman would have drove him home i'm not saying any of that but at the very least you cannot sit here and tell me that calling a game that bad is okay like it's i get strikes are subjective they're called what are they called judgment calls i think see that's why you can't review them i understand that but if your judgment is this bad something tells me you should not be judging games and one thing i will say i doubt this happens but steve dangle a a youtuber in the hockey community he's talked about how bad the nhl refs are and they've been awful recently one thing that he thought would be a good idea is have the refs give post-game interviews or the umpires in this case give post-game interviews. I know that's probably going to scare the crap out of guys because then it's okay. Well, what if they don't agree with my call? Now I have to explain why I called this guy out or, or whatever. Like I get that that's going to scare guys, but if you have to be accountable, like, like if I had to explain to you guys why I did something terrible, maybe I'm going to think twice about doing it. Like, so if these umpires are going to make a call that is clearly terrible like if if it's consistent if everybody consistently is saying what you're doing is terrible throughout the game i don't know maybe there's a little bit of of something that should be looked into and it's it's unacceptable at the major league level i get it if it's little league i get it if it's beer league or whatever fair enough you're not going to have the 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 top umpires available but if i'm going to pay money and if people are going to pay money and invest into these things to watch a game the people calling the game need to be correct. And you can have 50,000 people saying that that's a strike, but if the one person calling it a ball or vice versa has it wrong, that's unfortunately the decider, but you, you major league baseball cannot have this at least make it. I, I'm hesitant to say this, but at least make it make strikes reviewable for very, very, very rare situations. Like here's the thing. Maybe you make everything reviewable, Maybe you use your challenge a little bit differently. And if you're in the ninth inning, you choose to challenge that. Now, I doubt that happens. Probably not going to happen. It, you know, it's a terrible idea. But my point is, is you should at least be able to look into this. And if, and even if you can't, Major League Baseball needs to say, okay, these guys cannot be doing this because you cannot 
negatively impact a game this much. It it's just it's not acceptable. It you if you're going to be at the top level, I think the league. I, I'm pretty sure they only allow like one new umpire a year, something like that. Like if you're an umpire, you're staying there for a long time. You got to have better ones. And I get it; it's a high stress job. There's other people that can do it if if you can't do it. And and I hate saying that because it sounds terrible and, and cruel, but it's not acceptable to have guys just calling games as wrong as they are. And it's consistent. I mean. If you guys remember last year, I think it was, it might've been against the Yankees. I think it was in, in, where was it? In uh, the, the spring training home, Rowdy Telez, there was a ball probably like the middle of his shins. He was, it was called a strike. He was out looking. Blue Jays ended up losing the game. That cannot be happening. Like you cannot have a clear ball or strike be called otherwise. And if, if major league baseball actually cares about this game, like if Rob Manfred wants to, actually make people want to watch this game. I'm all I'm saying is decreasing the commercial time or decreasing the pitch time can only do so much if the actual quality of the on the field performances is, is lower. And for umpiring performances like that, it it's, it's not acceptable. You cannot have that, especially at the major league level. And especially when a team is going to disproportionately negatively be impacted by it. I just want to say, first off, the, the thing that made it worse for me is that, this was the same umpire who umped game six of the 2015 ALCS. Same one. And I guess that at-bat to Ben Revere is the most famous one where he, a horrible call. I didn't even re- recognize it was Jeff Nelson. But here's the thing. I think I'm more strict about it than you two. I know, Mark, you were saying there's got to be some sort of somebody checking it. I think it's either one or the other. You stick with the human element or you go to the robots. And I've been somebody who has been very divided on this but it is hard to make a case after seeing Saturday's game and say that you got to keep the like if that's the case I may have the robots have may may have won me over and I'm ready for the robo umps you just look at it it was probably one of the worst called games that you've ever seen it was definitely the one I've seen I mean you saw the umpire scorecard from that good Twitter account that releases it I'm scorecards 68% of a called strike accuracy the average is 88% we, I'm sure everyone else has pretty much seen the the generics of it, but he almost favored almost favored in Oakland by an, a run and a half because of him calling the games. And to throw it out there one time from Kevin Papetti on Twitter, he said there were just five games under 86% accuracy last season. Only one of those five games was under 88%. And only one of those five games had a higher overall favor. Jeff Nelson may have called the worst game since 2020. It's hard to believe that's that's the case. He figured it'd be one of the worst called games, I guess, just in recent memory and in history because it just, I don't think I've ever seen a scorecard that bad before. It just 68% is insane. I think of the robots have won me over. And I think if that's the case, you got to make the transition because I don't really see a way in the middle. I don't see reviewable strikes. I think that pretty much opens up a can of worms. You make the you either make the switch full time or you stick the way it is right now. But all I'm saying is, if that's a playoff game, there's no excuse for that, and something's got to be done for that. They got to have I the, the one thing I did agree with you, Mark, about is that there's got to be a situation where you can send send umpires down or punish them for being horrible behind the plate. It has been an idea that many people have spoken about in the past, but something does have to happen for that. And if that's not the case, make the transitional robot umpires because. That is unacceptable for no matter what month it is, no matter what game it is. You can't have that throughout the rest of the year. Let me make it clear. Automatic strike zones are coming. Like, it's not a debate. Bring on the robots. Yes. Like, they're they're coming. It's, it's, it's in the minor leagues right now. It's, you know, there are hitches in the technology that's being figured out. But within the next two to three years, we're going to see an automatic strike zone. To me, that's just a fact of the matter. And, you know, maybe they have to wait until the next CBA. I hate even mentioning that word on this podcast anymore, but it's coming at some point. So it's just a matter of time that we have to put up with this crap. But um, the last thing to mention today is a fantastic performance of Jordan Romano. Um, He has gotten the save in every single Blue Jays win this year. And I know that's something that's, Hopefully, in an ideal world, not going to keep up over the whole season. Hopefully, they're winning games by more than three runs each night. But he's been such an essential part of their success early on 
that it's hard to imagine the Blue Jays winning without him. And whenever he comes into the game, it is lights out, shut down. You can turn your TV off. The game is over. And to see someone like that, to see someone be that consistent out of the pen, and to see the Blue Jays have that tool in later innings to go to, and that reliability to just roll him out there ninth inning every single day, and he's going to give them the win, it's awesome to see. And it is going to be such an important part of this team this year. If he stays like that, I know we saw a couple blips in the radar last season. I think it was around June, around the sticky substance ban when we saw him struggle a little bit. But by and large, just last two, three years, absolutely phenomenal. So exciting to see him in the game. And so, so happy to have him on the Blue Jays, especially in those later innings. And the funny thing is, is he was after being selected in the rule five draft was given back to the Texas Rangers who then offered him back to the blue Jays. So he easily could be doing this for the Rangers and, and thank God that's not the case because the, I mean, we all panicked when Ken Giles went down with an injury. When was that? 2000. Yeah, that was 2020. So he missed most of that season came back, but then re-injured himself. That was the Tommy John. Obviously he's not with the team anymore. Rafael Delis did well, then, fell off in 2021 but Jordan Romano's really not done that like at all like he has basically just he's dominated ever since 20 ever since the calendar flipped to 2020 so I mean maybe the pandemic uh, was good for him maybe we just needed a pandemic to have a good closer on this team but it's it's absolutely dominant performances by him and even today I was joking with my friends as I was watching the game I was like yeah okay guys we can turn it off now like phone's about to die we already know they're winning like when you put him into this game you know the game is over he might allow a single maybe but he's going to rebound from it and I told you guys from the start I've said this probably more times than I can count but this is this is top three if not best closer in baseball right now maybe okay at the end of the season, at least, but even now, like top five, name four guys that are better than him. I don't really know that you can. And I think just to have this also be a Markham guy, you know, a guy ending the game for his hometown team, it just makes it even better. And all I can say is it, I feel confident in this bullpen going into any type of series, whether it's regular season playoff, like as long if you, it almost reminds me of the, I think it was the 17, 18 Yankees where they had Batances, Chapman, and uh, Andrew Miller. Like it almost reminds me of that, but even better. Like the game was over after the sixth inning if the Yankees were winning. And Blue Jays have that. Hope to God that this stays the way it is. They still have a lot of these guys for the next two to three seasons. It could be a dominant bullpen for the for the stretch, and especially as this team looks to contend. Yeah, I mean, nothing surprises me, or I don't think it should surprise anybody with Jordan Romano anymore. He's calm, and he's ready for the moment. He produces. We saw the record he bro- he broke passing Tom Hankey, obviously, for consecutive saves, and that's still going, which is really good. And the thing that fascinate- fascinates me is that he is just a two-pitch pitcher. It's a four-seam fastball or a slider. And he kind of uses it both equal percent of the time. We know the velocities there for the fastball. We know the movements there for the slider. It makes him dangerous, and it really makes up for it only having those two pitches. The one thing I will say that obviously most of this is Jordan Romano. I mean, you said it. Six saves, six wins. You can't take anything away from that. That is amazing. The one little thing I think that helps him in this case, and it's no knock on him at all. This just makes the team better overall, is the people that the Jays have assembled for the bullpen later in the games so they don't lose the game or they don't blow the leads like they did last year. They stay with it until the ninth so Romano can come in and get the job done. And right now, I think the the most common one we've seen in terms of a 7-8-9 is Simber Garcia Romano. So Jimmy Garcia is a guy that Jays fans are still kind of getting to know. He arrived to spring training late. But, you know, Garcia has nasty stuff as well. Five-pitch repertoire, and he kind of just uses the same pitches at all at the same time a decent amount. And we know Adam Simbers really well. So I think the fact that Romano's got two guys behind him that are setting or keeping or holding the lead for him to set things up for Romano to come in the ninth. I think that's huge. And obviously that's one thing that we saw this year compared to last year with the bullpen. Overall, the bullpen's a lot better. Obviously it's not the best in the American league East. It's not the best in baseball, but it's definitely up there. And Jacob, you were saying it, one of the best closers so far to start the year off, Jordan Romano, we shouldn't expect anything else. And he is dominant. You really feel comfortable when he comes into the games and gets the job done. Yeah. That's one of the biggest things is that, the Blue Jays have assembled the team around him to allow him the luxury to just pitch the ninth. I think even, you know, if we're talking about this last year, I think there's 
probably a handful of situations, maybe more, where he wasn't pitching the ninth, where the Blue Jays had to use him in those high leverage situations because they don't have a choice. They don't have anyone else to go to if you want to hold on to the lead or keep the game tied in, you know, two guys on that type of situation. You have to go to Jordan Romano, even if it's not a clean inning, even if it's not the ninth. Now they're in a position where they have other guys to pitch. You can put Adam Simber out there. You can put Tim's, Tim Mesa out there. You can put Jimmy Garcia out there. You can put so many other pitchers out there because the Blue Jays have assembled such a team. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that. And uh, Blue Jays shipping up to Boston this week. They got the off day tomorrow, and then they're playing Boston Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We'll be watching that series, seeing what happens. Should be an exciting one, the first one of the year against the Red Sox. But until then... You can support us, as always, on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash section138pod. You can find us on social media at section138pod. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, And as always, if you want to go over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and give us a rating and review, always help spread the word about what we're doing. So we will catch you on either Thursday or Friday after what should be an awesome series against the Red Sox. Catch you then. This is now good.